Hello and welcome to Bio Greyhead Hacker. I'm your host, William Bray II. Today's episode is going to be more of the history of hacking culture and paying a bit of tribute to hackers that have come before. Um, so if you are not a hacker or don't honestly have any interest in it, this is probably not the episode for you. Um, if you are a hacker, thank you for joining me. And, you know, let's go through this this history of where we come from. So, sit back, relax, and let's go through some, uh, some hacking history. The real public face of the hacking movement um, is a man named Lloyd Blankenship. Um, <clears throat> he is both accepted as the public face and voice, like the initial voice publicly of the hacking culture. Um, he is known as the mentor. It's, that was and is his pseudonym. Um, he's been active since the 70s. Um, most famously, he wrote The Conscience of a Hacker, but more people probably know it as the Hacker Manifesto. And when talked about, that's just what we'll call it. Because... You know, that's what he's known for. Um, the essay was written after he was arrested and was published in... Uh... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm giggling because it it's listed as an e-zine, um, you know, back before Google and shit. It, it, so an electronic magazine, um, a frack. Um, anybody in the good... Good, uh, good little periodical. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, since the essay's publication in 1986, it has been the subject of numerous panels and t-shirts. Oh, okay. I mean, it has been the subject of numerous panels and discussion and that sort of thing. Um, it was also referenced uh, in the movie Hackers. Uh, great movie, fun times, but not very realistic at all. But I love the movie. Um, here's something that most people, most normal people, <clears throat> outside of the culture don't realize. Um, Blankenship was hired by Steve Jackson Games in 1989. He authored the cyberpunk role-playing sourcebook. Um... Derp's Cyberpunk. The manuscript, which was seized in a 1990 raid of Steve Jackson Games headquarters by the U.S. Secret Service. The raid resulted in the subsequent legal case, Steve Jackson Games versus United States Secret Service. Um, it's, it is funny. Except, I mean, 
it, it really goes to show what the the governments well of the world but you know especially here in the states since the beginning of when hacker culture took off um how we we've been viewed and uh that's when he wrote the conscience of a hacker or the hacker manifesto this will be a reading of that manifesto apologies I'm just looking for where I stuck it So this was written in 1986 um, after his arrest and, it, and he presented it in public. Another one got caught today. It's all over the papers. Teenager arrested in computer crime scandal. Hacker arrested after bank tampering. Damn kids, they're all alike. But did you, in your three-piece psychology and 1950s techno brain, ever take a look behind the eyes of a hacker? Did you ever wonder what made him tick? What forces shaped him? What may have molded him? I am a hacker. Enter my world. Mine is a world that begins with school. I'm smarter than most of the other kids. This crap they teach us bores me. Damn underachiever. They're all alike. I'm in junior high or high school. I've listened to teachers explain for the 15th time how to reduce a fraction. I understand it. No, Miss Smith, I didn't show my work. I did it in my head. Damn kid probably copied it. They're all alike. I made a discovery today. I found a computer. Wait a second. This is cool. It does what I want it to. If it makes a mistake, it's because I screwed up. Not because it doesn't like me. Or feels threatened by me. Or thinks I'm a smartass or doesn't like teaching and shouldn't be here. Damn kid, all he does is play games. They're all alike. And then it happened. A door opened to a world. Rushing through the phone line like a heroin through an addict's veins. An electronic pulse is sent out. A refuge from the day-to-day -day incompetencies is sought. A board is found. This is it. This is where I belong. I know everyone here, even if I've never met them. Never talk to them. May never hear from them again. I know you all. Damn kid. Tying up the phone line again. They're all alike. Bet your ass we're all alike. We've been spoon-fed baby food at school when we hungered for steak. The bits of meat that you did let it slip through were pre-chewed and tasteless. We've been dominated by sadists or ignored by the apathetic. The few that had something to teach found us willing pupils. But those few are like drops of water in the desert. This is our world now. The world of the electron and the switch. The beauty of the bod. We make use of a service already existing without paying for what we could be dirt cheap. If it wasn't run by profiteering gluttons. And you call us criminals. 
we explore, and you call us criminals. We seek after knowledge, and you call us criminals. We exist without skin color, without nationality, without religious bias, and you call us criminals. You build atomic bombs, you wage wars, you murder, cheat, and lie to us, and try to make us believe it's for our own good. Yet we're the criminals. Yes, I am a criminal. My crime is that of curiosity. My crime is that of judging people by what they say and think, not what they look like. My crime is that of outsmarting you. Something that you will never forgive me for. I am a hacker, and this is my manifesto. You may stop this individual, but you can't stop us all. After all, we're all alike. That's a short essay. But there's so much there. And he's the one that really brought it to public light. Um, there's, there's nothing else you can say about the man. I mean, he's, he's the one that brought the hacking culture to public view. And, you know, in life, outside of the computer, well, he was a techie and a role-playing game writer. But good God, in the hacker movement, I mean, he's the original. In this segment, I'm going to be going through uh, this article I found on uh, Kaspersky.com. They do a lot in the, the cybersecurity field, but... It's pretty much their view of the top 10 most notorious hackers of all time. Now, as you can see, there's always a lot of words with connotations that are more on the bad side of things. Now, there, there are people that do bad things with hacking. And for only self-gain. But predominantly... It's more of an exploration, still, to this day, from any hacker. There's a really, really low percentage of us who actually do things for, um, I'm not going to, because personal gain, why shouldn't we do things for personal gain, but um, to harm, with, with intent to harm another person um, or, or group, you know, we, we keep it strictly to data in most cases, but, you know, even the ones that do things on the other side, it's still normally not toward um, any individual or um, It's 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 not truly targeted at one, right? Like the people that are out there doing even the ransomware stuff. Most of that, it's automated these days. 
you'll, you'll click on a link, you'll get a virus loaded, and I mean, in most of those cases today, those are the script kitties that are, you know, have picked up a tool. They've picked up a tool, and somebody sold them that tool, and they've edited that tool for whatever they wanted to do with it. Those are kind of the assholes, in, in my view, you know, as a hacker. Most hackers aren't out there doing that stuff like consistently like they might sell the tool and in fact that's that's really what most of them do most of us do is you know we'll, we'll sell these tools that can be used for good or ill but because it's just a tool and then you got yahoos that'll huh well if it can do all these things i'm gonna i'm gonna take advantage of that you know if that's what you want to do that's fine buddy I mean, you paid me for the tool, but, you know, hackers still get the bad name for even creating those tools, because those same tools could be used for good things. It's just most people don't think about doing good things with technology. So, we're going to get into a few of these uh, notorious hackers and it's actually pretty interesting. So our first one is uh, Kevin Bitnick. Uh, it says he's a sem seminal figure in American hacking. Kevin Bitnick got his start as a teen. In 1981, he was charged with stealing computer manuals from Pacific Bell. In 1982, he caught the North American Defense Command... He, or he hacked the North American Defense Command, an achievement that inspired the 1983 film War Games. In 1989, he hacked Digital Equipment Corporation's network and made copies of their software. Because DEC was a leading computing manufa computer manufacturer at the time, this act put Mitnick on the map. He was later arrested, convicted, and sent to prison. During his conditional release, he hacked Pacific Bell's voicemail system. Okay. Throughout his hacking career, Mitnick never exploited the access and data he obtained. It's widely believed that he once obtained full control of Pacific Bell's network simply to prove it could be done. A warrant was issued for his arrest for the Pacific Bell incident, but Mitnick fled and lived in hiding for more than two years. When caught, he served time in prison for multiple counts of wire fraud and computer fraud. Though Mitnick ultimately went white hat, he may be part of uh, the both hats gray area, according to Wired. In 2014, he launched Mitnick's Absolute Zero Day Exploit Exchange, which sells unpatched critical software exploits to the highest bidder. So, this gentleman, you know, just out exploring, doing his thing. Um, didn't really do anything too bad, but because of the way that cyber law and um, that has been, it's been harsh. 
you know, he went to prison. He went to prison. Um, because as it said there, he was just trying to prove that it could be done and didn't actually do anything with the data, right? But because he had opened the door, in essence, that's, that's what a lot of hackers are doing when they hack a box. When you actually exfiltrate the data or take it, that's, you know, that should be the line where it's like, okay, yeah, this, this person's kind of thiefing. He, he literally just opened the box and took a looky-loo. So, I mean. Number two, they do have anonymous listed. And I will say that I, I don't personally feel that they should be listed as a hacker or it should be designated right in the print as it's it, it's a group. They do designate it, but... Uh, okay, so Anonymous got its start in 2003 on 4chan message boards in an unnamed forum. The group exhibits little organization and is loosely focused on the concept of social justice. For example, in 2008, the group took issue with Church of Scientology and began disabling their websites thus negatively impacting their search rankings in Google and overwhelming its fax machines with black images. In March 2008, a group of Anons marched past Scientology centers around the world wearing the now-famous Guy Fox mask. As noted by the New Yorker, while the FBI and other law enforcement agencies have tracked down some of the group's more prolific members, the lack of any real hierarchy makes it almost impossible to identify or eliminate Anonymous as a whole. It's it's a conglomerate, or um, I I can't think of it, the other words off the top of my head, but yeah, it is. It's a loosely based organization. Anybody can be anonymous. I mean, but it is a grab bag of skill. Which is why I, I'd say I don't know if it should be listed. It's pretty collective. Um, it's pretty much like, you know, somebody gets an idea. They throw it literally into a uh, bucket. Digital bucket. And anybody that thinks that, hey, this will be a good idea, you can get involved. Congratulations, you're now anonymous. So, I mean, some are very, very skilled, some are not, and, you know, the FBI and other three-letter acronym groups really spend a lot of time trying to figure out who's done what. So, just be careful. Adrian Lamo. In 2001, 20-year-old Adrian Lamo used an unprotected content management tool at Yahoo to modify a Reuters article and add a fake quote attributed to former Attorney General John Ashcroft. Um, I think it's Lamo, but it might be Lamo. Anyway, 
often hacked systems and then notified both the press and his victims. In some cases, he'd help clean up the mess to improve their security. As Wired points out, however, Lamo took things too far in 2002 when he hacked the New York Times intranet, added himself to the list of expert sources, and began conducting research on high-profile public figures. Lamo <laughs> earned the moniker the homeless hacker because he preferred to wander the streets with little more than a backpack and often had no fixed address. Okay. Obviously, I I do I do respect the uh, the classic hacker nature of that. Um, he was kind of just going in to to poke around and make some fun and all that kind of stuff. But you know he is a hacker. Albert Gonzalez, according to the New York Daily News, Gonzalez doubled. Dubbed Soup Nazi, got his start as the troubled pack leader of computer nerds at his Miami high school. He eventually became an active on criminal commerce site ShadowCrew.com and was considered one of the best hackers and moderators at 22. Gonzalez was arrested in New York for debit card fraud related to stealing data from millions of card accounts. To avoid jail time, he became an informant for the Secret Service, ultimately helping indict dozens of Shadow Crew members. During his time as a paid informant, Gonzalez continued his his in criminal activities along with a group of accomplices. Gonzalez stole more than 180 million payment card accounts from companies including Office Max, Dave and Buster's, and Boston Market. The New York Times Magazine notes that Gonzalez's 2005 attack on U.S. retailer TJX was the first serial data breach of credit information. Using a basic SQL injection. This famous hacker and his team created backdoors in several corporate networks, stealing an estimated $256 million from TJX alone. During his sentencing in 2015, the federal prosecutor called Gonzalez's human victimization unparalleled. Yeah, guy's a hacker, but as you can see, most of his activities I really don't respect. I respect the skill, but the activities, I don't really respect. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to build something and to profit off its building. It's another to directly steal money from people. I mean, it's what it is. Matthew Bevan and Richard Price. They are a team of rich hackers who hacked into multiple military networks in 1996, including Griffiths Air Force Base, the Defense Information System Agency, and the Korean Atomic Research Institute, Kari. Bevan. Kari. Bevan, Kuji, and, and Price, Datastream Cowboy have been accused of nearly starting a third world war after they dumped Kari research into American military systems. Bevan claims he was looking to prove a UFO conspiracy theory and according to the BBC, he, his case bears resemblance to that of Gary Mc, McKinnon. Malicious intent or not, Bevan and Price demonstrated that even military networks are vulnerable. Now, that's funny. It... 
it was detrimental in some cases, but it's pretty funny. Uh, just saying. And yes, military networks can be vulnerable. Today, uh, different military organizations will literally do can you hack us type bug bounties. So if anybody wants to give it a shot, see which one's the active bug bounty and, you know, try your hand if you really want to. Um, because they're trying to proof out their systems. And that's what us hackers are good for, is seeing if we can get in. So if you do take an interest in that line and there's an open bounty, um, and, and what that will mean for you is that, yes, yes, you can hack that stuff as long as you stay within the parameters of the, the contract that has gone out. So don't deviate, but you can have some fun. Jensen's, James, and Sheeta. Okay, so JJ had an interest in hacking systems for credit card data or crashing networks to deliver social justice instead. JJ was curious about the use of bots, software-based robots that can infect and ultimately control computer systems. Using a series of large-scale botnets, he was able to compromise more than 400,000 computers in 2005. According to Ars Technica, he then rented these machines out to advertising companies and was also paid directly install bots or adware on specific systems. JJ was sentenced to 57 months in prison. This was the first time a hacker was sent to jail for use of botnet technology. You gotta love the first, right? Gotta love the first. Uh, Michael Kals. I think that's how you say it, and I'm sorry if I butchered it. In February of 2000, 15-year-old Michael Kals, also known as Mafia Boy, discovered how to take over networks of university computers. He used their combined resource to disrupt the number, the number one search engine at the time, Yahoo. Within one week, he'd also brought down Dell, eBay, CNN, and Amazon using a DDoS attack that overwhelmed corporate servers and caused their websites to crash. Kyle's wake-up call was perhaps the most jarring for cybercrime invest investors and internet proponents. If the biggest websites in the world, valued at over $1 billion, could be so easily sidelined, was online data truly safe? It's not an exaggeration to say that development of cybercrime legislation suddenly became a top government priority thanks to Kaus's hack. <sighs> thanks, buddy. wonder what this is going to do. I'm sorry. That, that's my envisionment of, you know, that is a lot of what hacking is. I'm sorry. You know, everybody wants to know about brute force and how to bypass and this, that, and the other. A lot of times they're just going, huh, I wonder what this will do. Any old school hacker will tell you that. Like sometimes you just type some shit in and see what happens. And, um... That, that's what will happen. <laughs> You'll break shit. Uh, <clears throat> Kevin Polson. In 1983, a 17-year-old Polson, using the alias Dark Dante, hacked into ARP ARPANET, the Pentagon's computer network. Although he was quickly caught, the government decided not to prosecute Polson, who was a minor at the time. Instead, he was let off with a warning. 
Polson didn't heed this warning and continued hacking. In 1988, Polson hacked a federal computer and dug into files pertaining to the deposed president of the Philippines, Ferdinand Marcos. When discovered by authorities, Polson went underground. While he was on the run, Polson kept busy hacking government files and revealing secrets. According to his own website, in 1990, he, he hacked a radio station contest and asserted he was the 102nd caller winning a brand new Porsche, a vacation, and 20 grand. Polson was soon arrested and barred from using a computer for three years. He has since converted to white hat hacking and journalism, writing about cybersecurity and web-related socio-political causes for Wired, The Daily Beast, and his own blog, uh, Threat Level. Polson also teamed with other leading hackers to work on various projects dedicated to social justice and freedom of information. Perhaps most notably, working with Adam Swartz and Jim Dolan to develop the open source software secure drop, initially known as Dead Drop. Eventually, Polson turned over the platform, which enabled secure communication between journalists and sources to the Freedom of the Press Foundation. Jonathan James. Using the alias Comrade, Jonathan James hacked several companies. According to the New York Times, what really earned James' attention was his hack into computers of the United States Department of Defense. Even more impressive was the fact that James was only 15 at the time. In an interview with PC Mag, the magazine, James admitted that he was partially inspired by the book The Cuckoo's, Net, or the Cuckoo's Egg, which details the hunt for a computer hacker in the 1980s. His hacking allowed him to access over 3,000 messages from government employees, usernames, passwords, and other sensitive data. James was arrested in 2000 and was sentenced to six months house arrest and banned from recreational computer use. However, a probation violation caused him to serve six months in jail. Jonathan James became the youngest person to be convicted of violating cybercrime laws. In 2007, TJX, a department store, was hacked and many customers' private information were compromised. Despite a lack of ed evidence, authorities suspect that James may have been involved. In 2008, James committed suicide by gunshot, according to the Daily Mail. The suicide note stated, I have no faith in the justice system. Perhaps my actions today and this letter will send a stronger message to the public. Either way, I have lost control over the situation, and this may only this is my only way to regain control. Apologies. Little moment of silence for that one. Astra. This hacker differs from the others on this list in that he never he has never been publicly identified. However, according to the Daily Mail, some information has been released about Astra. Namely, that he was apprehended by authorities in 2008, and at that time he was identified as a 58-year-old Greek mathematician. Reportedly, he'd been hacking into the Dassault group for almost half a decade. During that time, he stole cutting-edge weapons technology, software, and data which he then sold to 250 individuals around the world. His hacking caused the assault group $360 million in damages. No one knows why his complete identity has never been revealed, but the word Astra is Sanskrit word for weapon. Some of these top hackers aim to make the world a better place, others to prove UFO theories. 
Some wanted money, and others hoped for fame. All these people played a critical role in the evolution of the internet and cybersecurity. All those hackers that we previously, you know, read about, um, they're they're the well-known ones, and uh, you know they have done great things overall for the community and for society in general. Um, even with the uh, less scrupulous acts of a couple of them. You know, act, the actual stealing of money, or the... That, that was the only one that I personally found, uh, you know, I don't get down with if, if you're stealing funds from people. Um, but they've, they've affected society for the good, um, and generally helped in the cybersecurity realm of what to look for, at least, you know, when trying to defend systems. And, you know, so they all provided valuable lessons for cybersecurity. And hackers continue to do so to this day. Um, I had referenced, like, the bug bounty with the DoD. Um, that's something that is very, very new. Um, in the last couple years, I know for a fact that the Army, uh, the DoD as a whole, and what's the other one? Because these do cycle when you are actually allowed to, to do them. Uh, I don't know which one is currently running. I haven't looked but there are constantly different um, governmental organizations that do put out a public-facing bounty on can you hack into our shit uh, from our normal internet-facing web stuff, right? Because anybody that's worked in any kind of government stuff, you have... The external net, which is, you know, for people that don't know, it's like where the public is, right? And then in your organization, you have the internet. And there shouldn't be any crosstalk to, to go in between the two. They, they should be isolated from each other. And with these bug bounty programs and the allowing of these skilled people to test the networks um, and, and verify different assets because as hackers we think around everything something's in our way we're gonna go around the damn thing um, or, or we're gonna build a tool that will uh, it, it, it's it's an innate gift Right? For those of us that are hackers, um, th this is what we are good at. This is, it has nothing to do with training. It has to do with who we are. Um, that's one of the reasons that, you know, when I see these 
uh, certified ethical hacker and all these uber industry um, hacking certifications for instance I giggle <laughs> okay um, it's not something that can be trained it's not um, even if you look at at the manifesto it's because that's who the mentor was you know and he found the computer that's it nobody had to train him nobody taught him I mean he learned you know some fundamentals of uh, electronics and you know networking and all that other stuff sure but what drove his innate curiosity was him it was him and not not somebody else teaching him a lot of the the newbie hackers out there I, I get these kind of questions all the time and there's some of them that have honestly gotten annoyed with me over the years they're like dude how, how can you say that like that you either are or aren't a hacker because it's a fact it's a fact you either are or aren't and you're the only one that's going to be able to say when you are or when you aren't um, I'm sorry there's no there's no hacking board out there that's going to take your hat right or your hoodie you know, that's really the way you want to lean with it, but I always like hats myself. Um, just me. More variety. You can have more variety. All hoodies kind of hang the same. But those were the well-known ones. And then, you know, there are still some people out there that are in the or were in the community at one time and uh, they're very very deserving of respect and they have gone off on their own little ways to um, you know just do whatever the hell they wanted to personally I came out about five years ago oh shit I'm getting old about seven years ago um, simply because I wanted to raise awareness on the hacking culture and, you know, some of the, some of the problems that we have faced and some of the, uh, public out, uh, some of the public fear of us. I'm going to put it a little bit of it to rest. Because the hacker has always been, you know, portrayed as a stark entity. This terrible, terrible uh, individual or terrible, terrible group. And since 
felt since the 70s, but you know, internet wasn't like a super public thing until the 80s and all that thing. I mean, just to put it in context, I was born in 1983, right? I'm 39 years old. I've watched this. I've lived this. And I just came out as a hacker seven years ago. The people that came before me, if they ain't been caught doing something, they don't want nothing to do with that shit, generally. And, you know, but those are the, they're, they're the damn elders, man. <laughs> they, uh, I'm a highly technical person. Highly. And there's not... Not too many around that I would uh, say that I'm not better than. But there are there are a few, and the ones that I refer to are those old school people, you know, that really really had to live that shit. Cause I had to live it. But, you know, they were late teens, early adulthood, when, you know, the hacking culture was really just blasted. And it's died down some. And there's a lot more acceptance. But... You know, that damage was done to those people. So, I just want to say mad respect to those people. You are boss. And, you know, I thank you. I thank you for doing all the things that laid the groundwork for the hacking culture to, I don't want it to become mainstream, but to become more accepted. Thank you. That's all. Thanks a bunch. Thank you for joining me in this episode of Bio of Grey Hat Hacker. This one was definitely a bit more historical in nature, and um, it's 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 one that I, I've wanted to do for a while. And I do just want to highlight that the hacking culture is a great thing. It's still misunderstood.
but and we are still misunderstood but at the same time we do have those greats that came before those greats that are still out there and have decided to become nameless we're we're pretty badass that's all and if you're a hacker whether black hat white hat gray hat like myself take some pride in that take some pride I mean yeah we're a little weird and in normal society we might not fit but that's not their fault they, they don't understand so just keep doing what you do I mean if you really fuck some shit up I'm sorry you're gonna go to jail but you know just keep on exploring keep on figuring shit out society benefits from our action so Thank you again for joining me in this episode of Bio of Grey Hat Hacker. I'm your host, William Bay II. We'll see you in the next one.